0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayer is that this encourages you in the Lord. Amen, if you would pray with me. Father, we thank You. Lord, thank You for another opportunity to gather this morning in Your name. Father, I thank You that the song that we just sang is true. One particular line keeps running through my mind as the night has been won. Darkness defeated, death conquered, sin paid for. Every ounce of work that was necessary to save our souls has been done. And so Lord, today we rejoice in the great salvation that you have freely given through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning that the redeemed in this place would say so with our hearts and our minds and our mouths and our hands and our feet, God, that you would be glorified through the praise and the offering that we bring to you. We know that the only way that we could please you is through Christ in us. Father, I pray that if there is one here this morning that may be seeking the truth or just testing out Christianity, wanting to understand more of what it's about. Father, I pray that you, in your kindness, in your grace, through the power of your spirit and the proclamation of your word, would open their eyes and their hearts, first to their need, and then to you as their Savior. So Lord, we do pray that this morning would edify your people, Lord, if you see fit, Lord, that it would draw those into your fold that are not yet apart. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Aight. All, all right. I know what I means. I'm aight, too. Well, look, so if you have your Bible, the first place that you could open would be to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Um, You know we're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning, but the primary place we're going to be is Acts one, and then in Acts chapter 14, and then after that, just be ready. Like every scripture is going to be on the screen. There are going to be slides. You're going to want to take pictures. You're going to want to do all that stuff. And so, um, but I I mean, obviously we we have some time restraints here, so I can't just hit every single cross reference. But I hope that the last month of our focus on our core values has been beneficial. For you, I I personally appreciate the time and the effort that the other elders put in um, um, to crafting their sermons. It it takes a lot; it really does, especially when you're you have a full-time job and you're a full-time husband and a full-time daddy and have a lot of other things going on. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have time marked out in the week that I can prepare. And, and study, and so um, I just want you to kind of know what's going on when those other guys preach is is like, like like their life doesn't stop. It's 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 going and it's going fast, and and so they've taken time to prepare that, and I appreciate the clarity that they brought to our core values. Well, well, this this morning, obviously, I'll I'll close up our core values focus. Next week, we're gonna begin the book of Joshua. Um, so. I'm actually really excited about that. We're going to try something new with, with, with the book of Joshua, and we're going to try to do an overview at the beginning of all of our book series. So before we preach through a book of the Bible, we're going to try to do an overview. So next Sunday, Lord willing, if the Lord brings us back, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to do an overview of the entire book similar to what we did with Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, I think it'll really help us kind of have a good understanding of where the book is leading us and what the overall point is, and just an overall good point of reference for us as we take the next six to eight months and journey through the book of Joshua. Well, I thought what Brad did last week was helpful, um, and so Zach, if you could put the slide up of all of our core values, I want us to read them together, and there is no chance I'll read it off the prompt, so I'm going to turn around, and so I'll We'll start with Bible, and if you would read with me, Bible, God has spoken in his written word and continues to speak through it today, calling believers to himself. Prayer, constant, consistent intimacy with God preserves believers on earth and prepares them for heaven. Discipleship, believers undergo lifelong transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit in the local community, and today, mission. The purpose and passion of believers is to be a witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So my task is mission. It's important to know that there is a a lot of overlap with this subject. So obviously the Bible is a part of the mission. Prayer is a part of the mission. Discipleship is a vital part of the mission. And, And so what we'd like to do this morning... Is, is to um, highlight what the mission is, but it's going to be vitally important that we make a distinction first because you can't talk about mission in the New Testament without talking about the church. And so there's something that pops into your mind. There's something that you think positive or negative or something in the middle, like like I don't know where you are necessarily, but when you hear the word church, there's something that comes to mind. It might be like big hats and blue hair. It might be hymns. It might be pews. It might be getting backhanded by mama anytime you you know, dozed off during a sermon. Or it could be um, the theater, right? It, it could be the theater because that's maybe where the Lord, you, you were first introduced to the gospel and the first community of faith that you were connected to. Like So when you think of church, there's something that comes into your mind and there's certainly something that comes in, in, into my mind. But you can't talk about the mission of God without talking about His church. So whether you love the church Or whether you're in a season today that you hate the church. It's unavoidable. The church is at the center of God's mission. Now, who is the church? This is what we need to define, and there's going to be a lot of, there's obviously a lot um, and a lot of scripture references there. But who is the church? That's a fair question because we all have a preconceived notion as to who the church is. The church are those that Jesus. Loves. The church are those that Jesus chose. The church are those that Jesus died for. In Ephesians five twenty three through twenty five in particular, speaks of His bride, who is the church, whom He died for. John chapter ten verse fifteen, Jesus says to His disciples, "I lay down my life for the sheep." The church are those that Jesus. Called, and what I mean by called here is what the Bible speaks of when when it says called effectually. It means that there's a call that we, if if you're a Christian this morning, you were called by the Lord through the proclamation of the gospel. And listen, that call is effective. God is batting 1,000 with this call. The church, those He loves, those He chose, those He died for, those He called, Those Jesus-granted faith, and yes, you, you heard that right, like that's biblical language. The faith that we have to even believe in the gospel is a gift. Faith is not something that we've conjured up and now all of a sudden we can figure out how to go be a part of the church because we finally were smart enough, right? We're finally smart enough or we're finally righteous enough to kind of muster up the faith to go believe in Jesus. The Bible teaches, and I encourage you to go back and read all these references and you'll see it plainly in the Word. Faith is a gift from God. It's it's granted. The church are those that Jesus gave His Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we see that in John chapter 15, verse 26. You see that Jesus promised to send His Spirit not to everyone, not to the world. He sent His Spirit to His, His church, His people. Those he died for, those he loves, those he chose, those he called, those he gave faith. The church are those that Jesus intercedes for. And and if if you're not familiar with the word intercedes, it means that he he stands between us and the holy God. And he intercedes. He's our intercessor, he's the go between, he's the bridge to get the sinner to the holy. And he still stands. That's not a one-time transaction when you believe the gospel. Like right now today, when we pray to the Lord, whenever we uh, think of the Lord and want to worship the Lord, he stands today, if you're a Christian and a part of the church, as your intercessor to constant work that he's doing. And the church are those that Jesus will finally save. It can be confusing as a Christian, to think of our salvation, even though I I just prayed, I prayed, if you noticed, that all the work necessary for us to be saved has been done. Amen? But do you feel saved? Like, functionally, in your thoughts and in your actions. and I mean, we struggle and we fight with sin, and we know that there's still something that's wrong. There's something that's terribly wrong with our flesh. We know the Bible informs that it's our sin and so we don't feel saved, even though, even though we know all the work has been done. And what I mean by finally saved and what Scripture's speaking of is what's called glorification in that Christ will bring us safely home. But we won't finally be saved until we see Him face to face and we are like Him. But that's coming. And again, all the work necessary for that to happen has happened. But it's no secret that we struggle through this life. We fight our own sin. We fight the sin of others. And we know this world is broken and fractured. And, and this isn't heaven. I mean, we don't, that's not a newsflash. This isn't heaven. We are awaiting a final salvation. So, so th- this isn't even comprehensive. Christ's church is more than this. But, but if you notice that I didn't mention anything in answering the question of who is the church about what the church does. Did you notice that? This is all the work of God. the work of God. Why does that matter? Because when you're talking about mission, and and we now understand that the church is at the center of of the mission of God, if, if we think the church and the mission are the same thing, then we misunderstand maybe the gospel, but certainly the function of the church. The church and her mission are different. We shouldn't first see our identity as missionaries, just like we shouldn't first see our salvation as a work that we do. If, if you think of the church, even in the context of mission, and, and, and your thought of the church is about doing and working and, and going and going, and we're going to get there, don't, don't panic, I'm, I'm going to talk about mission, but first, it's about who we are. First, it's, it's about like, who we be. It's about being. It's not about doing. We've talked about these gospel patterns over the years, and, and I, I can't let us forget, like even on a subject like mission, and we come in here, like, I'm ready to roll. I hope you're ready to roll because I'm ready to roll. Like, like just all fired up, kind of pep rally. Everybody's about to run out and bust through the sign, and uh, you know under the Friday night lights, and you're excited. But look, that, like that work and that energy and that motivation is because of It's not to get or to maintain. It's because of the fact that Jesus loves us. He chose us. He died for us. He called us. He gave us the faith that we have. He gave us his spirit. He intercedes in that Jesus himself will finally and faithfully and powerfully bring us home to salvation. The word church, ecclesia, it's how it's used in scripture. It's the Greek word. It means this, listen, gathering. Isn't that interesting when you think about mission and the church being the center of God's mission? And here's like the irony for me is that the word means to gather and the mission is about what? Sending. There's a little conflict, but it's not really, it's not. Because first we have to know and understand who we are are our fundamental identity as the church is not as those who are sent out into the world with a mission but as those who are called out from darkness into his marvelous light in first peter chapter 2 verse 9 speaking of the church and, and by the way the church is global and local this is local but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light this is a wonderful verse to memorize because i think it encapsulates the being and the doing all of this reality of being chosen race royal priesthood holy nation a people for his oh that's beautiful his own possession The mission that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. First and foremost, when you think mission, when you think church, we are those who have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, the essential work of mission, of the Great Commission, of God's mission is the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the essential work, is the sending of Jesus. And and I I can't let us forget this. And so, as, as we move forward together... And we work together and we serve together, and we're on mission together, and missionaries are sent out from here. And like we're all like a part of that. We've we, we got to know and understand like what this comes out of, and it comes out of who we be what Christ has already declared over us through His work. But there is work to do. So, so what is the mission? That's who the church is. What is the mission? in Acts chapter one, verses six through eight. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. This is Luke's account of the giving of the Great Commission. Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's resurrected. He's been on the earth for about 40 days in this glorified state. And this is the last thing that he tells his disciples. He says, in verse 6, So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, and look, after all they've seen, they're still worried about the end times. When you coming back? When's the kingdom going to be established? Remember, they're Jewish. They're Jewish, and so because they're Jewish, they expected the Messiah to come and establish an earthly kingdom. And even after all they'd seen from Christ, I mean, think of the miracles, think of the teaching, think of the, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Now they've seen Him in this glorified state. They still want to know, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And to be clear, they mean earthly And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, And what will that power be for? Just think of this context. The disciples are thinking of earthly power, earthly kingdom, material possessions and conquering lands and being the leaders and being the rulers and everybody being subservient to them. It's not what that power is about at all. It's not what the mission of God is about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here it is. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of... Of the earth. The church are made up of those who have trusted in the work of Jesus Christ. Every single person that has trusted Jesus Christ is a part of his church. Listen, every single person that is a part of his church is responsible for this. All right, listen, you, you'll notice this real fast. And I'm, I'm, y'all know I hadn't preached in almost a month. So I'm, I'm trying to pace myself. I got a little energy, but I love the church. I, like, like God's called me and broken my heart for the local church. And I, I love the local church. And what I sense and see God doing among this local church, it, it really, really excites me. But we, what you'll notice in the New Testament is there is no category for a Christian that's on the sidelines there's just no category. There's not a category for the Christian that just says, well, I mean, like, my gift's just sort of being here. No. Look, I'm convinced that if that would have been the mindset of the first century church, we wouldn't have the gospel today. But it was men and it was women and it was families that wholeheartedly believed that the reason that they had blood in their veins and breath in their lungs was for This. They might be good at different things and they all have different jobs and it doesn't mean they're all going to be pastors or missionaries that are sent out to other places. But every single Christian, every single Christian in every single age, like this is why we're here. That's the point, to be His witness. And so the purpose and the passion of the church is to be a witness to the person and the work of Jesus. Listen, every Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, this is a fact. You became a Christian because someone witnessed to you Jesus. That's how it happened. That's how it happens. Now, sure, there, are there probably some stories where there's dreams? Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, the Lord's free. He's the only free being. He's free to do what He wants to do, how He wants to do it. But generally speaking... This is how he functions. This is how people are added to the fold is through a witness. Every Christian becomes a Christian because someone witnessed, and every Christian's responsibility is to be a witness of Jesus and about Jesus. Now, the book of Acts is the inspired history of the whole mission of the church, it's how we got started. So you could go to almost any chapter in Acts to gain some insight into the mission of the church. But Acts 14, I think, is especially instructive. So turn a few pages over to your right. And I want to give you a little context here. And I want you to go back and read it. in your free time. Some of you are like, what's that? Okay, if you don't, make time. All right, make time. But Acts 14, the, the context is Paul and Barnabas are at Iconium. And the gospel's advancing. They're doing what God called them to do. They are being witnesses. But here's the deal. It it didn't bring like, um, you know, rainbows and lollipops. It brought hatred and stones because people wanted them dead. And right before this section in chapter 14, we're going to pick up in verses 21 through 23, I believe. In verse 19, after Paul is preaching the gospel, being a witness, persuaded the crowds, they, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Verse 20, but when his disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So I, I just give you a little bit of context. Again, this isn't like, hey, let's go to the, to the big Christian conference where there's wonderful coffee and vendors. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what's happening. This dude's just been beat to a pulp left for dead for preaching the gospel. Could have thrown in the towel. but He didn't. In 21, 21 through 23, again, we're answering the question, like, what is the mission? When they had preached the gospel to that city, all right, if you underline or highlight, they, they're doing it. Now, 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 don't think it was three points in a sermon, you know, three points in a poem, or you know, he had slides. No, that's not what's happening. He, he is testifying to the goodness of Jesus. Every Christian in every age is responsible to testify to the good news of Jesus. This isn't just a Paul thing. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch verse 22 listen strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God 23 and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had <clears throat> in whom they had believed I think here we see the primary function of the church as it relates to her mission and then four aspects of the church's mission. First is this, the primary function. What is the primary function? The primary function of the church is gospel proclamation. Like, again, are there other things? For sure. Does God use different... Platforms for us to do that for sure. But if we're going to call ourselves a church, or it's going to be a part of the mission of the church, gospel proclamation might not happen day one, but there is strategy and intent for gospel proclamation to happen. We can't be witnesses of Jesus Christ without gospel proclamation. Doesn't happen. Gospel proclamation you saw in verse 21, it leads to new disciples. Again, think of the Great Commission Brandon read. We just read in Acts, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe what I commanded you. When there's gospel proclamation, that leads to, and it's, it's the only way you get new disciples, or you could say new converts. Gospel proclamation then leads to what would be obvious, discipleship. Look at verses 21, the last part of 21 and 22. After they preached and they made many disciples, they returned to Lystria and Iconium 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. There's discipling. Well, what's, the, what's the point of discipling? Zach, if you go back to that slide, it'd be awesome. Thank you. New disciples, new converts. Gospel proclamation leads to discipleship. Gospel, now listen, still gospel proclamation. God, we don't bail on gospel proclamation in the process, or like the process of discipleship. Gospel proclamation is something. if you're a Christian, you will always need, you will always need to be reminded, you will always need your soul fed with the gospel. We don't ever graduate from the gospel ever. And we learn deeper things about the gospel, but it's always about the gospel, because that's the only way there are new converts. That's the only way true discipleship happens, and it also is the way that we are led to perseverance. If you notice that in verse 22, their souls are being strengthened. They're being encouraged to continue. Where does that come from? How does that happen? The proclamation of the gospel. Gospel proclamation leads to new, strong churches. Our goal, our goal, which means everybody, all of us, together, is to win new converts through the proclamation of the gospel. Establish disciples in the faith by the proclamation of the gospel and to incorporate them into a local church. Evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. That's the mission of the church. It's what the church in Acts sent every person out to do. Those that were sent out from the first century church were sent out to proclaim the gospel so that there are new converts and then proclaim the gospel and their discipling and then by proclaiming the gospel and in that context of proclaiming the gospel elders and leaders are established and there's a local church and that local church again remember regardless of your thoughts about it scripturally we know the church are those Jesus loves he died for he gave the faith to believe he intercedes for and those that he will faithfully save Now, some churches may aim at one of these components more than the other two, but all three should be present in the church's overall mission strategy. You know what one of the most beautiful things is about being a pastor? Is I don't have to come up with a strategy. There are a lot of books, and I'm not saying they're all unhelpful, but what I am saying is that the purpose and mission and strategy of the church is to proclaim the gospel (laughs) over and over and over and over and over. It's about being a witness. It's about proclamation of the gospel. And and it's these three that have to be present in the overall mission strategy. And and brothers and sisters, this is amen stuff. This mission cannot fail. Matthew 16, 17 through 19. I'm going to pick up in... 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it was built on, verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The, the proclamation of, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock that the church is built on. And it's that mission that the gates of hell will not prevail again. So regardless of how many churches you've seen fail or how many mission strategies uh, you've seen flop or whatever the case is, the truth is this, is that the mission of God will not fail. Another awesome thing about being a pastor. I don't have to come up with a strategy. It's not going to fail. It's not. And there's nothing more evil than the gates of hell. It's not going to fail and, and it's christ church again this is for clarity i'm not trying to be like provocative or whatever here it's christ church not a para church organization not christian schools not christian conferences all of those things are good but it's his church local churches that are global that Christ died for and the gates of hell will not prevail against. Every Christian has a responsibility to be committed to a local church and its mission. Note also, and this is, I have to be quick here, it's in the context of a local church where the gospel is preached, the burden of missions is lifted up, and God mysteriously, miraculously, and wonderfully calls missionaries... Whom the church sends out. Go back and look at the first few verses of Acts 13. You see Paul and Barnabas in the context of a gospel preaching church where they're praying together and the Holy Spirit prompts their hearts, and Paul and Barnabas are sent out from the local church. That's why I think it's tricky. It's tricky because if we think church and we think mission and church and mission are the same, then missions is actually nothing. But it's in the church. Where the gospel's proclaimed and discipleship is happening, that individuals and families are pricked and and, and want to go and and feel the the Lord calling them, and then they're sent out of the local church. For what purpose? New converts, discipleship, and the strengthening of other local churches. It doesn't matter what continent, that's, that's the mission. Of the church, and, and so it's absolutely unavoidable in the scriptures that the church, made up of local churches, is at the center of God's redemptive strategy to gather those He intends to save. And so, this at this point, you ever see a new car on Facebook Marketplace and go, "I'm kind of looking for a new car." You look at it, you maybe say, "Hey, you know, what? I'm gonna go look, you kick the tires." You look around on the and say, "You don't really raise the hood, right?" You just know that it's a car. Well, that's where we are at this point in the message. All right, we've kicked the tires. Pretty good car. It is a car. We know what it is now. We know where it came from. We know what its purpose is. How does it work? Well, we're going to raise the hood. With this question, how is it supposed to work? In Romans 12:4 through 8. How's the church supposed to work? It says, for by the grace given to me, I say, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Zach, if you could go back to that first slide, and we're asking the question, how is it supposed to work? Well, each member, and I don't mean member like maybe when you think of church, church member. I mean, each member of this body, the body of Christ, each one, everyone among you, Each, we have many members. Members do not all have the same function. We are individually members. Do you get the picture? You, you, me, our kids are a gift to this body. You and I have a responsibility to commit each member commits. You can see there are other scriptures you could look at, but we can see that each of us have been given gifts by God. And we are to use these gifts within the body. And I know the question you have, well, like, how do I discover my gifts? A good place to start, and this is just starting, is what do you like? what are you good at? Like, like for some reason, when we think spiritually, we think, well, things I like and things I'm good at don't count because those are somehow unspiritual. No, we believe that God is so sovereign that he made you the way that you are and good at what you're good at. And he's so sovereign that geographically he's placed you to be in the seat you're in right now. And what's the point? So that you're his witnesses to a local church and so that you are about the edification and building up and strengthening of the souls of brothers and sisters in Christ in and through the local church. So, so don't, get, don't let it be too complicated. However, however, does that mean I only do what I like and I only do what I'm good at? Philippians 2.4 is sort of the banner that flies over what it means to be a Christian. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So as you are thinking through, how do I serve in and through a local church? This is really the best way to approach it. How can I serve these people with their interest at least as high as my own? And so the church, by God's design, is made up of a group of diversely, gifted people committed to one another and showing generosity in all areas it's taught in the New Testament but it's more of an expectation than it's even taught and it's this that God's people should be generous Well, you would go why? Well, rehearse the gospel in your mind. You've been saved. Like, like forever. You didn't pay a penny. You have a God who's given out of his wealth to you through the work of his son. And what that produces is generosity. And yeah, yeah, that does mean money, but it's not only money. It's of our resources, of our time. It's a heart that says, I care about your interests as much as I do mine. And it looks for ways. It hunts down ways to be generous to one another. Well, first it works within the context of this diversely gifted group of people who are all committed. And, and, and so who leads it? Well, Colossians 1.8, and I don't have time to go there, but Colossians 1.8 makes it really, 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 really clear who leads the church. And it ain't Dolan. Christ. Look, in case you're wondering, Jesus is in charge. Any authority that any pastor or elder has is under the authority of Jesus Christ. And any authority that any pastor or elder has only comes from the authority that this book has. I have zero authority outside of this. I don't. And so who leads it? Christ. Christ leads it. However, he has given us a model in the scriptures for how his churches will be led. And so in this context of those that understand who they are and that there is a mission and every member is gifted and responsible to serve, in that context, among them, there are elders and deacons. This is biblical language, appointed in local churches. And so within the context of every committed believer there are those that the Lord appoints and raises up from among that congregation that provide structure and leadership. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1-13. through I don't have time to go through it. Jot it down and please read through that. Each member commits and then God appoints leaders in 1 Timothy 3, the first part of verse 1. You see, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, sometimes that is elder or pastor, and then down in verse 8 of chapter 3 deacons likewise and we'll talk about that in just a second first elders the function of elders is governing which means leading guiding or managing and teaching those are the primary functions of pastors and elders this teaching note the teaching is not only it's not limited to public preaching the requirement is not for the gift of preaching, but for a solid grasp of doctrine and the ability to spot and correct errors and explain biblical truth. Deacons. The English translation deacon, diacon, suggests the notion of service. What's a deacon? And I know some of you have some... like. Probably as many different backgrounds as there are people in this room as far as what a deacon is. Scripturally, a deacon, this is what deacon means servant. It's a servant. It's never not a servant in the scriptures. It's not a board of directors. That's not what a deacon is. It's not an executive committee. It's not what, like a deacon is a servant. And the Bible suggests the notion of service and servanthood, especially to basic necessities of life. The basic task of deacons is benevolent, serving, preparing meals, clothing, as well as ministering through greeting, hospitality, safety, and welcoming. And there are lots of scripture references, not even all the ones I could have put up there. But that's the biblical language of the church and how she functions. is through the leadership of elders and also the leadership of deacons. There are qualifications in 1 Timothy 3.13. Now, you're probably going to want to take a picture of this because there's a lot of info on it. Nope, next one. These, these qualifications, and I can't read them on the back, and I'm just going to let you just look at them and read them for just a second, and take a picture, and then I'm going to just address two. If you'll notice on the elder side, which is the pastor side, the last qualification is male. Now, our understanding of what Scripture teaches about the role or office of pastor or elder is that it is always masculine in Scripture. But you'll notice on the deacon side that it is male or male female now again if you come from a background where particularly a southern baptist church where there was deacons and the deacons functioned as sort of a board of directors and the deacons were always male we're not i'm not up here this morning to kind of bash that or derail that or whatever we're just giving you what we think we see in scripture and that is affirmed it is affirmed through a lot of other biblical scholars and and people who hold to the same views that that we do but this is what we see in scripture at this point again deacon there's no deaconess in scripture there's not. It's deacon, and it's male or female, because a deacon is a servant. Also, if you'll notice in the center part of this little diagram, in the middle, not a lover of money, not greedy, and then the next one is generous. Now, you might would say, well, I looked through 1 Timothy 3, and I didn't see generous. Why is generous up there? Well, we think generous is, is implied clearly through the qualifications, and so as we go through the elder process, which is not near as frequent, and, and our hopes, and we're working towards establishing some structure around deacons as lead servants, that we take these qualifications very, very, very seriously with the elders and also with potentially future deacons. And a big deal for us as we evaluate is the generosity that that individual has to the local church. Now, does it doesn't mean the person isn't a Christian. It doesn't mean all those things, but I just wanted to make a point of clarity around those two things. Elder is masculine. Deacon is male or female. But one thing that's vitally important that you might could argue maybe you don't see in the qualifications is that generosity in all areas is vitally important for us here at Covenant Church to be in one of these specific roles. Now, Zach, the other slide. This may be helpful for you as well. You might want to take a picture of it or not. I don't really have time to talk through it. But I had an idea, and my man, Zach, brought it to life. So there it is. And the other diagram, too. I cannot take credit for that. Only the idea, and Zach brought it to life. If Zach wasn't here, I don't know. I would have just had an idea that I could do nothing with. <laughs> so thank you, Zach. And, and we hope this is helpful for you, at the heart of the mission of God, at the heart, is to save and redeem His church. And at the heart of the mission of His church is to be the vessels that proclaim His excellencies to one another and to the world Around us. That's why we're here. We're gonna serve concessions. We're gonna feed teachers. We're gonna go feed at the at the Alabama game days. Like, like and there's nothing like all those things are wonderful, but all of those things are not fundamentally the mission of the church. All of those things are a platform that God has given us to be and do what He's called us to be, His people. Two, to do, and that's to proclaim His excellencies. I honestly believe that we are at a major moment in the life of our church. Those of you that have been around a while, you know that that's not something, I don't know that I've ever said that to you guys. Those of you that are new, you're probably like, oh, here we go. Every fall, same spill. Pastor's got this big you know, he's, he's just dangling the hook out there trying to get more, like, think what you're going to think. I honestly believe we're at a major moment in the life of our church. And how that impacts you after today, I think the safe answer is greatly. Greatly. Because we need each other. We need each other. We need each other to, to be who we've been called to be. We need to understand that the unity that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ, it is actually, it's actually thicker than blood because it came from His blood, and it's through His Spirit. God has positioned us in such a unique place in this community as a unique body of believers. We're not trying to steal church members from other churches. That's not, that's not what we're about. But we have a deep desire, a deep desire to proclaim His excellencies. And we want to see that happen in Hillcrest, in Tuscaloosa, in Alabama, in the United States, in Georgia, in Indonesia, and to the ends of the earth. We are wholly committed to the mission that God has put us here for. And this, just consider this as an invitation to you because you know how committed you are and what you are actually committed to. Like, I I can't answer that question for all of you, and I'm not going to stand up here and jump up and down and try to get on your toes or whatever. Look, this may not be the church for you, but I want you to know, similar to the New Testament, at Covenant Church, we don't have a category. Like, we just don't have a category for families that don't serve. So I don't want you to feel, I don't want you to feel left out or like isolated. If you're not plugged in, the best way to get plugged in is to commit. Like it ain't rocket science. It's not perfect. You're going to get your feelings hurt. Like maybe even by me, like you're going to hurt my feelings. I'm not a snowflake, but you're probably going to hurt my feelings. Like, like we're not, it's, it's not perfect. Okay. That's the point. Like, look. One of the beauties of the gospel is that, is that Christ pursued such an unlikely bride. There was nothing that was beautiful about her. Just to be honest. Think of the story of Hosea. Joseph, you guys can come back, Denise. The story of Hosea where the prophet Hosea, he's instructed, he is instructed to go marry a harlot. How about that? And he, and he does it. And he marries Gomer. And guess what she proves to be? She proves to be a harlot. And, and the whole point of the story, and I don't have time to go into it, but I just wanna, I want us to understand this together of what it means to be the bride of Christ so that we're not so surprised by the ugliness that can be in each of us, okay? There's, there's got to be a category for grace because it's grace that we're saved. It's by grace that we are saved. And so... Hosea marries Gomer and she proves to be a harlot and and like throughout that story as she leaves him and goes to these other men there are these moments where you see Hosea going to Gomer's house. Now, not her house, to the man that she's with. She's shacking up with this dude, and he goes to her house. He knocks on the door. The man opens the door, and I, I'm kind of adding some to this, but I'm just going like, you know, reality TV show here. He opens the door, and it's Hosea. Like, is he about to cat me? I mean, is he going to punch me? He's bringing him food. The story goes on. Gomer ends up on the slave block. nobody wants her the picture the scripture paints is she's naked she's battered she's used up think of the auction being over and there she is nowhere to go nothing to drink nothing to eat nowhere to live and Hosea comes back and says I want her Mine. Mine, Brothers and sisters, like that's who we are together. We're a people that had no way to be saved, but God in His kindness came down to us and rescued us. So, this message isn't about us and our excellencies and our perfection. It's about the excellencies, listen, remember 2 Peter, of the one who called, the one who bought. So if you would back. First, before anything, before you think of commitment, before you think of anything, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian this morning, praise God in your heart right now. If you want to do it out loud, do it out. Like whatever it looks like or feel like, whatever expression comes to you, thank him for who you are. Now, out of that worship and out of that submission, out of that joy, of that joy ask him to give you a passion and a heart for what he's passionate and has a heart for and that's his church Father we love you and we praise you pray that you move in our hearts and lives in these final moments in Jesus name We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church Tuscaloosa If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.